as a, litur- a liturgical church, to us, Easter is not just one day that we celebrate and then plan for the next holiday. You know, most of us do, especially if you're like myself and you cook uh, for Easter and you're planning, helping plan a fam- big family dinner. You're checking off the shopping list. You're planning it. You're trying to get it all done. You just can't wait till it's over. It's like everyone's happy, everyone's full, everyone's passed out sleeping, you know, because of the tryptophan in the, in the turkey. But in a liturgical perspective, we spend 50 days living in the resurrection. We have spent days up to it in Lent, preparing ourselves, asking ourselves questions, fasting and praying in preparation for the coming and the resurrection of Christ. And then after Easter, we spend 50 days. We're still evaluating our lives. We're still praying. We're still fasting. But we're doing it in the light of the resurrection. For he has risen. He has risen indeed. And so today, I'd like to talk to you about that to some degree. And primarily, I'd like to talk to you about stories. Because we all have stories. We live in stories. And in fact, we understand in stories. There's a communication theorist by the name of Walter Fisher who says that stories are how we make sense of the world around us. That they are so important to us that he defines us, meaning humans, as homo narens. We are storytellers. He says what separates humans from just about anything else is that we tell stories. We take life experiences and we put them into our stories and we seek to make sense of them. He said you don't learn your values by reason discourse or tight debate cases. We learn our values by the stories we tell. If I asked you, for instance, about the story, or if I mention the proverbial cherry tree, could you fill in the story? George Washington cut down the cherry tree. His father asked him who cut down the cherry tree, and he said, I cannot tell a lie. I did it. Of course, that story was told and written by Parson Weems long after Washington was gone. But we we relate to life by the stories that we tell and by the stories that impact us. We all have stories to tell. You know, if I had my personal story, it might start out, if I could choose it the way I wanted, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, actually, that's been used. Yeah. But we all have our stories. So I'd like to talk about some stories, and the stories that we see through the readings. And the first one is the story of Job. The interesting thing, or the sad thing, is that that little bit that we read doesn't tell the whole story. You'd have to read the entire book of Job to get that story, to understand why he is saying what it is that he is saying. And he is doing it because what has happened. See, Satan came, stood before God and said, I have been walking through the earth, I have been looking that, and I don't find anything valuable. God says, But have you seen my servant Job? He loves me. He follows me. There's a man. Satan says, yes. 
but let me tempt him. Let me put him through trials and tribulations and see if he's still willing to follow you. So God relents, says, yes, you can, but you cannot touch him physically. You cannot kill him. So what happens? Job has a terrible day. Raiders come in, take his flock, kill his servants. He loses all his material prosperity. And then his family is having a celebration at his oldest son's house. The winds pick up, the house collapses, and he loses his children. Devastating. Here's a man that prayed. Here's a man that followed God who did everything he was supposed to do. And this happens. And Job does not reject God. He does not reject God. So Satan comes back and says, God says, see, my servant Job, he's still faithful. Satan says, let me put a physical curse upon him. Let me attack him in his body. And we'll see how faithful he is. God says, yes, you can do that, but you cannot kill him. So Job experiences sores all over his body. And if you read the scripture, they are not pleasant. Excruciating pain all over his body. And in chapter 3 of Job, he cries out to God, Why was I even born? If this is what I'm going to go through, if you're doing this to me, and I love you and I follow you, why was I even born? Then his friends show up. They don't offer him much comfort. You can read those. And near the end of the book, God responds to Job. He answers Job in a whirlwind. And he puts the suffering of Job in Job's story, in perspective. He says to Job, Job, can you control the rain? Can you control the hail? Can you make the flowers grow, the trees grow? Can you catch a Leviathan? Can you do all of this? And he goes on for multiple chapters talking about the glory of God and everything that God can do. See, Job had the view that his story, if he did everything that he was supposed to do, life would be good. It's sort of like a business transaction. In communication, we call that social exchange theory. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. And God is showing Job, you know, it's not about a business transaction. You can't control me by doing everything this way, this way, this way, like you would in a business, and get the same return. Because I am beyond that. I am outside of that story. Your story is narrow. You put me in a story that if I do this, God will do this. And God is saying to Job, I am so beyond that story. I am so outside of that. You see only a little bit, Job. Look beyond that story. See 
that I am all around you. See that I am with you when you suffer, when everything is going well. I have not left you. And that's why Job responds. He repents and says, Lord, I spoke of things I did not understand, wonders I had no knowledge about. Job was trying to fit God into his narrow definition of a story. Let's move on and talk about another story. And that's the story from the gospel. The story of doubting Thomas. Now, I love Thomas, not just because he has a great name. Right, Tom? But I can relate to doubting Thomas, to Didymus. Why? Because he loves God, he follows God, and he still messes up. And most of what we know about doubting Thomas, we know from John's gospel. John mentions Thomas more than anyone else. And I have to wonder if John and Thomas were friends. You know, special friends. They're apostles, they're disciples, they hang around together. They've been in the ministry field with Jesus for a while. But like any guys that get together in a team, you're closer to some than you are to others. And chances are, I, I, I know it's not in, in the text, but I wonder if Thomas used to tease John. They had that special relationship. You know, Thomas coming up to, to John going, Hey, how's it going, son of thunder? So have you decided which, whether you're sitting on the left hand or the right hand of the master today? Because that's what guys do. We tease each other. We tease each other. Well, I like the story of John. And the first time we encounter John, in the story, in John's gospel, or the first time we encounter Thomas, is when... They come to Jesus and tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Later, Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And we must go back to Judea and to Bethany. And the apostles respond, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to wake up again. Why do we have to travel all the way back to Judea? And finally, Jesus says, no, he is dead He hasn't just fallen asleep, he's dead. They didn't get it the first time, he makes it a little clearer. And I am glad that he has died so that you can see the work of the Lord. And Thomas says, let us go up with God, let us go up with him and die with him. He doesn't get it. He still doesn't get the story. Later, We hear where Jesus is comforting in chapter 14, the disciples. And he tells them that I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. And Thomas says, how can we go? How can we follow you, Lord? We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Still doesn't get the story. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but by me. I like that about Thomas. 
He just doesn't get it. So they, he sees Lazarus raised from the dead. Because in his story, his narrative, his view of the ministry of Jesus was different from the view and the narrative of God. I'm sure that when Thomas came in with Jesus to the triumphant procession into Jerusalem, and the people are you know, waving palms like we did on Palm Sunday, and they're praising, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thomas is going, yes, finally. Makes up for all those times we slept outside. We ate the same food. Finally, the story's coming together. It's the way it should be. And he goes, and I'm walking along. I'm one of his disciples. This is good. It's coming together. He's thinking his story the way he thinks it should go. Jesus teaches during that early part of that week in the temple, and Thomas is right there with him. Going, see, I'm one of his. I'm with the master. Thursday comes along. They go up to celebrate the Passover. I'm convinced the apostles had no clue what was about to happen. You know, we look back, hindsight's always 2020. We know the end of the story. At the time, they did not know. They thought they were going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Pass Passover with the Master. They didn't get it because it didn't fit into their story of how it was supposed to be. So they go to what we call the Last Supper. They had no concept that it was going to be the Last Supper. Jesus talks about this is the last time he will eat the bread and drink the wine with them until paradise. They leave that. They go to the garden because the master wants to pray. And Thomas and many of the disciples figure, ah, time to take a nap. So they take a nap. No concept of what is going to happen. I'm sure that the arrest of Jesus rocked Thomas's world because that wasn't supposed to happen in his narrative. In his story, it wasn't the way it was supposed to play out. And then Good Friday comes along and Jesus is tried and then he is crucified. He must have been shaken to his very core. How did he come from the triumphant entry to this? This wasn't what Thomas has signed on for. Jesus, whom he loved and whom he followed and who he spent all these years serving, has been crucified. We know from our gospel reading last week in Luke that Thomas was with the disciples when the women came in to proclaim, he is not there, he is risen. He heard the first Easter message. And he didn't believe it. For Luke tells us that we thought what the women said was nonsense. He didn't believe it. You see, in his story, this is the way God was supposed to work. It was supposed to work in this way. 
And it wasn't working out that way. And Thomas didn't know how to deal with it. See, we live in a literal, in a linear world. We're born, we live, we die. We have our sort of our introduction, our body, and our conclusion. We're linear. But God is outside the linear. He doesn't live in the linear. He's not bound by the linear. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end at the same time. At the same time. He knows the end of the story at the same time he knows the beginning of the story. He's got the big picture. If you want the ultimate meta-narrative. And our goal, our desire, is to graft our story onto his story. Jesus tells us that he is the vine and that we are the branches. And when you graft something, you cut it at a 30-degree angle. You cut the branch you're originally going to put that graft in. You attach it. You cover it in cellophane, aluminum foil, moss, and everything else. And over time, the tree, the vine, goes and repairs that cut. And that graft, though it keeps its original DNA or personality, becomes fused with the branch or the vine to the point that if you just looked at it, you couldn't tell the difference between the graft and the tree or the vine. That's what God wants us to be. That's what God wants us to be. That's what our story is to be, to be grafted to the vine. Thomas, as we read, doesn't get it. His story of what it, how life was supposed to be doesn't fit in the way life played out. I can look back in my own life. I know that we can. I'm at the point now that most of my life is over. I'm over 50. I can look back and go, Look at what happened. Look at the decisions that I made. I wonder how in the world I got to where I am now. Because when I was 16 years old and God came in my room and touched a depressed 16-year-old with nobody else there, my life changed. I don't know how I got here. I look back and go, you know, Lord, we were so excited in the Jesus movement about being Christian and everything. And it was, let me tell you, it was an exciting time around here in Southern California with the Jesus movement. It was a blast. My friends and I, after we became a Christian, used to talk about it. And we were thinking, okay, we're going to go to Europe. We're going to study with uh, Francis Schaeffer. Uh, we're going to create this international uh, ministry of evangelism, and we're going to change the entire world. We're going to get a big house with you know, 2.5 children, um, a wonderful wife. I have a wonderful wife, and I have two children. 2.5, you count the dog. And, you know, and 
you know, this is what life is going to be like. And I look back now and I'm doing things I didn't expect to do. I'm doing things that I wonder, Lord, how did I get into this? This is not really how I planned it. It it wasn't the way the narrative I thought was supposed to work out. And when Thomas sees Jesus in that closed room, you know, he didn't believe his, the apostles who said, we've seen him. The master is here. Because he couldn't let go of his own story the way it was supposed to be. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas as he rebukes Peter. <laughs> he doesn't. He goes to Thomas and says, here, let me help you believe Let me help you understand the big story, Thomas. I know you love me. I know you want to follow me. But help me. Let me help you be grafted into me to understand the big story. And that's what I think Jesus is asking us to do. We sang masterfully, and no, it was not planned, the great him by Fanny Crosby. This is my story. This is my song. Praising the Savior all the day long. And if you look at that song, you'll see all kinds of, here's my vision. I am looking for this. And the interesting thing is, Fanny Crosby was blind. She couldn't see. She took the story and she made sure that her story, her narrative was put in God's narrative. I pray that during this time of Easter, as we celebrate the risen Lord, as we evaluate our lives within the story of Christ's resurrection, that we will respond like Thomas to our story, that we will shape our story to the story of Christ, and we will give up those things which we are just taking us down. Rather than worrying about how it should be, let us not live with the shouldas, couldas, wouldas, but let us live in the power of the Spirit in the story of the risen Lord. That we can respond as Thomas did when confronted with the risen Lord, my Lord and my God. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com.